the finance you know, folks tend to be really smug about how digitized their industry is. But when you think about it, how hard is it to digitize accounts? Compare digitizing that kind of system to, oh, guess what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to drive 300 miles out of the middle of nowhere, put 6,000 people out there that haven't been there before. You're gonna build all the facilities that need to live there and then create a custom-made factory to build a custom-made product that we're never gonna build again. That's, we work on the biggest, most complex operational problems in the world. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Rene Morcos. He is the founder and CEO of Alice Technologies and teaches at Stanford University's PhD program in construction management. His professional experience ranges from working as a project manager in Afghanistan to building an underwater pipeline project in Beirut, from driving automation engineering on a $350 million gas refinery expansion project in Abu Dhabi to leading the development of a virtual design and construction model for Amsterdam's cruise ship terminal. Welcome to the show, Rene. Thanks, great to be here. So that is a, a very diverse, uh, cool background in, in construction. How, how'd you get into construction? Uh, really easy. Uh, my dad was in construction. Uh, when I graduated high school, he gave me a good piece of advice. He said, son, study anything you want, just don't do civil engineering. So I, was, <laughs> I, I was a little lost in life, now I know what I need to do. So uh, I went and studied civil engineering. Uh, I've been in construction my whole life. Uh, you know, I was on construction projects with my dad. Um, first job was assistant site foreman. You know, I actually didn't like school. It's kind of funny because I, you know, ended up doing a PhD, but um, I was uh, studying for six months a year and then working for six months a year. I would knock on construction projects. I would find the cool projects in town and we'd knock on the door and be like, hey, are you guys need any help? And uh, yeah, I just like to build stuff. I would cut class and go build things, you know. Um, and like you mentioned, I've just, you know, all over the world really gotten, and I've been so lucky to build these, you know, some of the coolest projects in the world, right? I mean, the experience in Afghanistan, underwater, you know, gas refineries, just really, really diverse projects. Um, I like to build, you know, the concept of like, it's not there and I did something and now it's there. It's going to be there forever. It's going to be there after I'm gone. Like that just always, you know, jazz me, you know, and I think that's what, what, what excites people in our field, you know, or most people in our field, you know, at least folks that I've talked to. Yeah, definitely. Well, what's one of your, your favorite projects that you've worked on? Uh, oh, you know, I, I don't know why this came to mind. First project I ever did as a project manager, and I say that in quotes, is I built a bar out of airplane wings. So <laughs> nice. Kabul, Kabul airport would have like a plane crash roughly every six months. Um, and so, you know, the, this, this colonel in, in, the, in, the, in the NATO forces sort of showed up and he goes, I've got this project and I want to build this air bar out of this like crashed airplane. So I was like, okay, maybe we can... You know, make it a little bit simpler. So we ended up getting a fire um, fire personnel on, on, on the base to cut the wings off. And we built a, base, uh, a bar out of the plane wings. And the challenge, by the way, was because the plane wings are curved and you'd have to flip them around, getting the, the plane wing just right so you could put your drink on it. You know, that yeah. was like the project I had as a PM. And, you know, things progressed. I and mean, ended up building, you know, military bases, landing strips, first windows, doors factory in the country, lots of design build, you know, serious projects. But that was the first, you know, two days into the job. That was like the first thing they gave me. So I, I still think it's it was a cool, you know, pretty darn cool project. Yeah, that's a it's a cool way to get your, your feet wet. <laughs> nice. 
Uh, well, I want to talk to you about generative construction. And, and first, let's kind of define the term. So what is generative construction? Generative construction simulation, those three things. Um, and, I'll, and I'll go sort of backwards. Simulation uh, is, I think, a major step forward for the field because what people do today is they create estimates, they create schedules, but the computer isn't actually building it for you, right? And so what you get with Alice is that the, Alice is actually shuffling resources, labor, equipment, material through space and time to build your construction project. And that's a, that's a huge step forward because what that means is you can um, change how the project is built. And that's the generative part. So what does generative mean? Generative is, is, is really a step up from parametric. Right? And I don't want to you know, throw too many terms, but these terms are really important because they have actually been done in design. It's not stuff that we invented. You know, parametric design, right? If you don't know what it is, you'll be an expert in about 30 seconds. So let's assume that you want to draw a cylinder. So you draw like a circle, a circle on the plane. Say you want a bigger cylinder, you redraw it. A smaller cylinder, you, you got to redraw it every time there's a change. So somebody right. along, no, 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 I'm going to have parameters, I'm going to height and radius, right? If I change the parameters, the tool redraws the object, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Perfect. And so that's basically what parametric technology is, right? And so my boss in Afghanistan walks in the office and goes, hey, I want to move the staircase. So I'm thinking like, you know, crap. Like, you know, that staircase means that this elevation changes, this elevation, that cross-section, that, you know, so that layouts, and it's kind of rippling through 47 drawings, right? Just like, and then, you know, halfway through, six hours into, like, rippling that chain through, he walks in and goes, I changed my mind and put the staircase back where it was, you know? And so with a parametric tool, which is BIM, right? That's what BIM is, by the way. It's two technologies, object-oriented and um, uh, parametric. You move the staircase in the 3D model and the chain ripples through your system. Right, so that's parametric design. Generative design is I'm so, I'm, I'm even lazier, I'm human, right? I don't like to do any work. So I, I want you, the software, change the parameters for me. I want you to try all column heights from 10 to 16 feet, you know, and do it by half foot increments and, and find, you know, the minimum energy that this building's gonna need and a maximum rentable area, whatever the number is. So that's what, what generative means, right? That's been done in design, right? Parametric, right. when I started my PhD in 2009, People were sort of like, what is BIM? Let's get a BIM you know, department. That kind of you know, started to become, I think, mainstream, let's say 2015. The last three to five years, what I'm really seeing in the design world is this generative computational design, right? Autodesk and other companies kind of pushing that forward. What we've done is generative construction simulation. So that's the big deal. That's what we managed to do. And it's the ability to basically tell the computer, hey, build my project for me 20, 30, 40 different times, right? And each of those different ways of building it has six million sequences. And so the parameters that we're changing are add a crew, rebuild it, add a crane, rebuild it. There's a delay, resequence around the delay. The design change, you know, create the design change. So that's what it is, right? It's the ability to build and rebuild your project. Consequently, you can, as you can imagine, like imagine you had a building and you, you could, you know, you had, you know, you lived to be a thousand years old and you went and built this building 20 different times. You'd probably be like, well, you know, that, that 16th way that I built it was probably the best, right? Mm -hmm. Today, you know, experience comes into play, but that experience is limited based on the past projects you've done and things change. You know, even if you knew upfront the best way to build something, something got delayed, something changed, the design changed, and that, that change ripples through your entire system. That ripple through is really, really hard to do in your head. That's what, what, the, what the tool is. Mm -hmm.
Nice. So what are some of the, the barriers then for construction and in, in really embracing this kind of thought process? It's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll tell you sort of like a small kind of almost a pet peeve of mine, right? People are always saying, oh, construction is not innovative, right? Uh, like it's not true, right? The reason construction isn't innovative is that we just happen to solve things that are bigger and more complicated than other fields. Mm-hmm. Consequently, right, the technology required to digitize our field has not been available till about five years ago. For us to digitize construction, we have to digitize the input to construction, which is design, and that didn't really happen, like I said, till 2015, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, the finance, you know, folks tend to be really smug about how digitized their industry is, but when you think about it, how hard is it to digitize accounts? It's like literally, you know, numbers, and when you remove it from this account, it appears in this account, they all have to sum up the same number, right? Like relatively straightforward. Compare digitizing that kind of system to, oh, guess what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to drive 300 miles out in the middle of nowhere, put 6,000 people out there that haven't been there before. You're going to build all the facilities that need to live there and then create a custom-made factory to build a custom-made product that we're never going to build again, right? And we're going to need two more to do like that's we work on the biggest most complex operational problems in the world right oh yeah for sure so to answer your question like you know what are the barriers i think that the you know one of the key barriers has been technology right like a lot of construction folks have been burned in the past by you know technology that i don't think promised you know or, or delivered on its promises right bim is a great example right you know bim was like and i you know i i, I done the research i've read the papers i really you know as a researcher spent so much time you know researching this stuff and i was like bim is going to be this magic solution it's going to you know solve all the problems there's going to be a central database of all the all the problem you know all the information right that didn't happen and bim is a design tool right it hasn't really translated into hardcore construction uh, capability or, or or benefits right so to answer your question like i think that um, what you're seeing lately, right? 2017, I think, was this this, this break point. You know, I call it almost like the construction renaissance, right? You know, all this funding went into construction, right? People started to get excited about it, and it became sort of this next frontier. And to, to answer your question, like, I don't foresee major barriers to, to, to the adoption of, of, of innovation. I think it's almost, you know, what I'm hearing now when I talk to companies is, is maybe the barrier is almost that there's too much stuff going on, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you know, that, that, that kind of ties into, you know, how the future will shape up and, you know, happy to talk about that as well. And what, what will make the construction company of the future successful, right? And that's fundamentally changing, you know, as, as we're looking at it today. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, you know, I think that's interesting it's with the kind of the, the contact boom over the last couple of years that you've seen. I think one of the kind of stumbling blocks, if you will, of, of some of those is people saw such a good opportunity in construction technology. And so there was a, this influx of, of people, but 
they weren't from construction, so they didn't understand the, the full complexities of the industry and, and all the um, little nuances and just incredible amounts of, of moving parts to what you were you're talking about earlier. Um, and, and so they, they built all these tools and stuff that the may have worked for some other industry, but coming into construction, it's not as easy to cram in, uh, uh, in the, the process and the thought process, uh, the automations of an accounting firm into construction because the complexities are just totally different. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. It's it's funny. I like I mentioned. I kind of worked throughout my PhD. I, I funded the program that way. I spent six months here consulting, and that's what I you know I was consulting with companies in Amsterdam around the world. But I would always say like, hey, like construction. And I would interact with folks from outside construction that were trying to come into our field, and I you know the the advice I gave them then is like, hey, heads up, this is a, a this is a different ballgame. Like mm-hmm. you can very quickly see that the stuff that you've been accustomed to managing, like it will break down in our field. And I was right. I was actually correct, right? It, it, it is tougher, right? It is harder. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how do you uh, encourage the, the industry then to kind of overcome or, or move past some of that, um, you know, being burned by technology or, um, you know, kind of shaking off the, the unfair, it, it's not an innovative industry and really move forward and, and adopt it now that the tech has finally kind of caught up with with where they should be. You know, and the, the beautiful thing about you know innovation, Todd, is that it's available to everybody, and the the entry point is relatively low, right? Yeah. You, you've you've got to be able to, and I, and and you know, Jeff Bezos has some quote about this, and I'm kind of really paraphrasing here, but it's like to innovate, you need to be able to, you know, put up with other people telling you that you're being an idiot, right? Take some risk and go through something that's uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And, the good news is that, that, you know, I see this in my day-to-day they work, right? You'll have very, very advanced companies that, that are really, you know, on top of their game, you know, and they're starting to kind of lose the edge in my mind, right? You know, because they're sort of thinking like, hey, we're, we're, we're now thinking that we figure this out. And it's oftentimes like the folks that are maybe a little bit lower in terms of revenue or, or name on the market or whatever it is, you know, that, that are thinking, hey, I want to I wanna make a name for myself, right? And every yeah. company, who has people like that and those are the people that like that's the beautiful thing about innovation right the folks that want to take the risk the folks that want to go through the pain and all this stuff are the ones that are going to you know benefit down the line right that's fundamentally mm-hmm. that, that equation hasn't changed i think in the history of our species right so yeah well that you know it depends on how hungry you are if you're going to go out there and uh really innovate the the, the hungry you are the part of the more innovative you are and then when you you start uh relaxing on your your laurels, you, you ease up on that innovation gas. 100%. And, and like the thing that I'm seeing that's really sort of innovation is, is fundamentally, you know, in my mind, an operations, you know, capability, right? And so if you yeah. look at, you know, what, what we, what I am working on or, or construction, you know, is, is fundamentally an operations research, operations management kind of game, right? And so if you look at what happened in the manufacturing industry in the 80s, I think that's exactly what's happened in construction today. Incredibly, incredibly exciting, right? If you think of factories, if you went back to the 1950s or 60s and talked to factories, factories were viewed like construction's viewed today. Oh, it's not sophisticated. It's a bunch of people, you know, working long hours that are sort of, you know, covered in oil and, and you know, so on and so forth, right? Um, what's happening today in construction is that change, right? And what in the 80s, when the, when the Japanese car makers were, were sort of beating the American car makers, the Americans called up the, the Japanese folks and said, hey, what, like, how are you guys doing this? And the Japanese response was, 
come take a look. Like, here's, you know, here's the quote secret, right? And so what I'm trying to say with that is that, you know, the folks that are doing the innovation, I have never seen anything in the world where an innovation is like, oh, all I got to do is like buy this box and press the button, right? And you'll see that with, with the folks that are successful. It's like, okay, it's like what's really exciting. And like, I'm, you know, sometimes even a little bit jealous of, you know, we're building this AI software, right? In Silicon Valley, and it's like super sexy and it's great. But like, I'm looking at the folks that are in these construction companies. I'm like, man, this is the time that you want to be in a construction company. Because you suddenly have like the, the startups are effectively outsourced R&D departments, right? Yeah. You suddenly got all these like, you know, R&D departments out there. So, you know, you're like the, the, the GC of the future is going to be successful based on three things. Identifying cutting edge technology, anal, uh, uh, evaluating it, right? Analyzing it and then integrating yeah. it. And how you integrate these tools, how you operational, operationalize them in your processes um, is really what the game's about today. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So given the, the moment that construction is in right now, what are some questions that the, the industry really should be asking themselves that maybe historically they haven't been able to ask and, and kind of go down those roads? I can give you sort of a micro and a macro answer, right? For a micro answer, which is from a generative simulation or an Alice Technologies perspective. What the technology enables, and I think any real powerful technology will allow you to ask and answer very different kinds of questions. Here's a typical example. Today, you go on a construction site and they'll be like, oh, we're using three cranes and, you know, we got six steel crews and so on and so forth, right? With Alice, you can really, really dig into specific reasons why that's the case. Why is it three, not four cranes? Why is it this design? design option you can have very specific answers and very specific quantifiable answers to these questions right um from a macro perspective the questions you can ask is what data can it's like you know everyone's like oh well we need to collect data but sitting down and figuring out what data we're going to generate how we're going to generate it and how we're going to use it and then use that effort like use those insights to put back into the operation system that we generated data from that's a full job right Sure. Kind of questions that you're starting to sort of think about, I guess, really even a level up is you're like, okay, well, where's the market headed? Where are we going to be 10 or 15 years from today? How are the supply chains going to get integrated? The decision latency. So the, inf- the time you need from asking and answering a question today in construction is about two to three weeks, mm. right? Uh, your cycles, you know, many construction projects, you've got monthly updates, right? So you basically got one month of, of information latency, right? Or two mm. weeks. Right, if you want to look at it that way. But um, what's going to happen is that that information decision latency is going to drop and drop and drop, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the questions you can start asking yourself is, is where do I believe the market's going to head? And how can I start building the systems and processes in place that will take advantage of that change that's going to happen? Yeah, interesting. So one of the, we're going to kind of shift in, Look at it through the the AI lens. Um, first, kind of, what is AI? How, how do you really define what AI is? And then, what kind of influence do you think AI has on the way that we're going to build? Yeah, you know, the, the term AI, I think, has been overused. You know, people kind of slap it on every box, right? Um, you know, and anything today is AI. And I, people ask me like, like, you know, what is it? And I always smile and I say, well, define artificial and define intelligence, right? Yeah. 
That's, I mean, you're not going to answer it, right? Um, here, here's what I can tell you. I've, I've been asked to give talks on, you know, AI and construction. And I sort of said, look, AI, there's several different definitions, right? And, and it's nothing that, 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 you know, one should be afraid of. I think, you know, if I was at a cocktail party and somebody started talking to me about AI, I would really sort of push back and be like, look, you know, AI is used for a lot of different things, right? You know, um, the, the definitions that I think resonate or the ones that, are, that in Silicon Valley, I think have some, some legs are um, what, um, what uh, optimization technique does it use to solve the problem, right? What I mean by that is that you've had classical search, but you've had, you know, machine learning, right? Neural networks. That's the kind of stuff that, that people will define AI based on how it's solving the problem, right? So machine learning, for example, or neural networks or deep learning, for example, those are sort of, you know, how, what, how people have defined AI or one way people have defined AI. Um, another way to define it is, you know, what can it do that hasn't been done before? Right. And that's if you, if you look up artificial intelligence on Wikipedia, I think the last time I checked it about a year ago, that was like AI is whatever wasn't possible before, but now is possible. Right. So that's kind of a changing definition. Right. Mm -hmm. so fair enough. That's, that's one way to view it. Right. A third one that, that I kind of like as well, which is not that used, but what does it understand? So, you know, does it like what are the concepts that the, the, the software understands? Right. Uh -huh. An interesting one. Right. So those are, you know, three different, you know, approaches to the, to the problem, right? Um, lately, you know, what people have said, and, and AI was coined by a gentleman called McCarthy back at Stanford, and I think in the 50s or early 60s, by the way, right? And um, the, um, the, the way that it's been defined, right, um, is uh, by McCarthy, he defined it as basically the ability of, of a machine to solve problems that are solved by, by humans. So I gave kind of three definitions, right? What can I understand? How does it solve the problem? And what can it do, right? right. Um, the one that, that people use lately is, is, is how does it solve the problem, right? In the sense that it learns from itself, right? Mm -hmm. um, the truth of the matter, though, is that I believe that if you, and here's an interesting kind of really cool thought experiment. If you look at the history of artificial intelligence, one of the things I've looked at is what field is it currently eating? So if you look at back in the 50s and 60s, they were looking at simple, you know, simple algorithms, simple toy problems, right? Lately, mm -hmm. what these algorithms can do is natural language processing, vision recognition, right? Or um, uh, 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 speech, right? Driving, right? But these machines are still like what I think that the, the really big shift is going to happen when AI eats up philosophy, right? And so what's interesting is, is you know, maybe five, four or five years ago, suddenly the English professors at these top schools became pretty hot cookies because of that natural language processing, right? Or, you know, suddenly vision became, you know, pretty hot topic and so on and so forth, right? I think that, that once the algorithms are, have a consciousness, right? is when you can really start, when you can really start calling it AI, this generalized AI, right? We're pretty darn far away from that happening, right? Mm -hmm. These things like, you know what, at the end of the day, it's still an algorithm, right? I, I've not seen a single example where it, where it, you know, even, you know, with the, you know, some of the, the, the crazy stuff that's coming out of Google and I'm blanking on the name, but like, even there, you know, there's simple things that it trips up on, right? Yeah. And so, 
Yeah, I think it's at the end of the day, like we're still at a stage where they're still just algorithms. They're very sophisticated algorithms doing sophisticated stuff, but they are algorithms. Create a common data environment for your team with 360 Sync. 360 Sync automatically transfers, organize, and archives project files across applications. It is the only way to automatically sync project files between your server, Procore, BIM 360, Bluebeam, or any other platform you use. 360 Sync is the only document management system designed by and for the AEC industry. Users have automatically transferred over 1 million files and over 2 million syncs. Set it and forget it. Create a common data environment for your team today using 360 Sync. Visit asti.com slash 360 Sync for more information. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure you you hear some some pushback from the industry uh, around AI some, but how uh, how concerned then should construction be around AI and uh, you know kind of friend or foe? I would say the concern should be zero. Um, here's something to think about: if you look at uh, look at the advent of technology over the last 120 years, right? Look at the amount of time it takes to create a blueprint and create a copy of that blueprint. Look at the time it takes to create a design and create a copy of the design. Look at the time that it takes to create a structural analysis and to create, you know, analyze it for earthquakes, whatever the heck it is, right? Those numbers are, have gone down 10, 100,000 fold, right? Look at the advent of, of internet. Look at the advent, like all this technology has made it so much easier for us to do our jobs. How many hours a week are we working? A lot. <laughs> A lot, exactly. And so that's the question, like I have yet to see an exact, like AI is not gonna remove the demand side of the equation, right? I wish I could tell you that was the case because we'd be working less hours, right? But it's yeah. not, right? Uh, Revit did not eliminate the need for architects. They just don't do the busy work. They get to do the creative stuff, and, you know, thinking about space, time, all that. Structural analysis program didn't eliminate the need for structural analysts. They're just doing bigger, more complex buildings. They can add more analyses to what they're doing. They can do energy, you know, uh, sorry, earthquake analysis and all that other stuff, right? Um, with Alice, for example, what's really funny is, is people originally schedulers, planners, kind of see the tool. They're like, yeah, I don't really know. Every single time they use it and they go, oh, this, you know, this tool doesn't work without me. It really needs me. The pattern that we've seen at Stanford over and over again is the exact same pattern. The the let's the quote AI, right? Or the algorithms, whatever the latest, you know, fashion is, right? Whatever the latest buzzword is that this is now the AI, right? But that's been happening for you know 20 years, right? And yeah. five years ago was big data, three years ago was big data, right? And it's natural language processing or, or a vision or you know, whatever whatever the latest buzzword is, plug that in. But like all you're seeing over and over again is what the algorithm does is it does more of the crunching, and the human becomes the entity that that doesn't do the crunching, sets up what needs to be crunched in terms of the results, mm. right? And that's the pattern that you're seeing over and over again. And, and I don't see that changing in the next 20 to 30 years. Like I really don't, you know? Yeah. I've literally not yeah, seen sure. any one example where I was like, wow, that's gonna change that dynamic. Like not once. Right, yeah, I, I think that the promise of technology, it, it allows people to, to focus on those more creative and more strategic elements and, and get rid of the, um, more mundane aspects of of the job if you will you know here's a different way to like i i, I almost wish that was the case 
right? It's like, oh, robots, they're going to put us all out of business. What happened to car manufacturing? How many people are employed in the car business? The only thing that's happened is that, oh, well, now one person can manage. Back in the day, it was one person, you know, screwing a nut. Now one person can manage 10 robots that are screwing, you know, 50 screws, right? Whatever the hell it is, right? And so yeah. it's, that's not changed. And, and, and like, you know, robots are going to, let's assume that we're, you know, move forward by 25, 30 years, right? Which is where I think that robots are really going to be building a lot of stuff in construction. You need people to manage the robots, to service the robots, to tell the robots what to do. The, you know, like, I wish that was the case, right? But it, it's unfortunately not, right? The, the, yeah. the only thing that's, that's going to happen is you have, you'll be able to leverage more and more Right. As one human, you can create bigger impact and then be responsible for more impact. Right. Mm -hmm. So, nice. and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Right. I think that, that, that if you look at technology historically, it has made less mundane work done by humans and more and more of the, the stuff that's creative and fun. So, Renee, you speak and write about intelligence augmentation as well. What is that and, and what opportunities do you see for technologies to make us better thinkers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's not AI, it's IA, right? You'll, you might argue, well, okay, so then what I was setting up to be crunched and interpreting, now I've got an algorithm that does even this piece. Well, guess what? You become the entity that then does, you know, setting up what needs to be set up, right? It, it, it's, it's this endless game, right? And it's, it's never ended. Right. I think it will end, you know, 30, 50 years, right? Uh, so to answer the question in, in terms of IA, like, yeah, that's exactly the pattern. Right. Over and over again, it becomes, you know, what what ends up being done. Right. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, what impact do you believe that tech innovation can have on the sustainability then in construction? Huge. Right. I think one of the I'm a technologist. Right. You know, I think anybody in construction fundamentally is as well. You know, I believe in technology's ability to elevate the standard of living of our species. Right. And, mm -hmm. and of all species on this planet. Right. Um, if you look at, you know, what, what engineering has done and say, let's say since the industrial revolution, the last 120 years, 130 years plus minus, right. Um, remarkable, right. If you look at biology as a system or, or nature as a system, you know, it's been at it for, you know, three and a half plus minus billion years. Right. Um, the, the fact that engineering has done so much and so little is great, but one of the key, I think, shortcomings of engineering is this lack of sustainability as part of its ethos, right? Um, but when you, so what I'm saying is that, that I think that everybody in construction or any, you know, field on the planet today, we need to start thinking about, hey, there's, there's you know, I think it's eight and a half billion of us at this point, right? How do we build systems that enable us to continue doing what we're doing, not for the next 50 years, but the next 50,000 years, right? And that's going to require, I think, a fundamental shift in the way we behave as a species, right? And so, you know, how can technology help in this? Like, the sky's the limit, right? There is no reason why we can't use 100% renewable energy, right? You know, if, uh, if, if nuclear fusion happens, like they're predicting in the 2030s, right? You know, that's almost unlimited energy, right? That we're gonna be able to provide to the world, right? Um, the materials that we're using, right? Like, why, it's, it's such a strange thing, right? Like, why, think about it, why go build a building that you can't then just dismantle and use to build another building, right? Like why is our way of building is 100% renewable, right? Reusable in some ways, right? And so you know, with Alice, you know, what you can do is you can, the big difference or why, are, or why do we figure out how to build things 17% faster, 13% cheaper, right? 
Well, it's because we squeeze out inefficiency. The idle times, the times that those machines are waiting or the inefficient cycle times, we can squeeze that out, reducing carbon emissions, right? But, you know, again, you know, what technology can do, the materials that you're using to build with, the way that you're using to build, the supply chain, knowing who's building what, when, and where, those efficiencies, I think, will enable us to move towards that sustainable vision. And I think we all need to, on, on some way, shape, or form. Right? Yeah, interesting. So uh, want to get your perspective on the kind of the global scale. You, you know, your career has spanned the globe. Alice is, is worldwide as well. What are the, the differences in the ways and maybe the, the pace that the different cultures are really embracing new content coming in? One other thing I think is really beautiful. And so I, you know, I'm half Czech, half Lebanese, so Europe, Middle East, bounce around a lot. Um, the world is, is, is uh, flattening out in some ways, right? What I mean by that is that the, the difference between the top you know, uh, countries and economies and the ones that are not, the difference between the first and the third, first and second world is, is closing, right? Uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, like, you know, few companies outside the US or, or Europe sort of would be innovative. That's changing, right? The, the democratization of education, I think, is huge, right? What's happening in the educational field, like the fact that you can get onto Coursera right now and for $49 a month, literally access the top courses from Stanford, Harvard, and all the other institutions on the planet is, is mind-blowing. And it's great. You know, I, I strongly believe and have always believed that, um, you know, uh, wealth and success should not be locked in, you know, uh, from a uh, privilege or a, a, a where you were born and who you were born as. Right. I, I really, really believe that we need to strive towards a world that's equitable. Right. And so to answer your question, like globally, what you're seeing is a lot of companies, you know, in, in Asia and um, northern Europe, Latin America. Right. You know, really, really are having innovation centers. They're sending people to Silicon Valley, looking at all the technology here. They have graduate from the top schools in Europe and the U.S. Right. Um, China obviously is, is, is an upcoming sort of, you know, power. So a lot of um, the, the, the game is a lot more diverse, you know, and I think that, that it's, it's open to a heck of a lot more people, right? 20, 30 years ago, if you were, you know, someone sitting in, in you know, somewhere in, in Latin America or Africa, I think it was harder, right? Without the internet, without all of these things. Today, you're really seeing top performance from, from companies and countries that you wouldn't expect before. And I think that's great. You know, yeah. and I, even, even the, the, the Silicon Valley, like um, almost monopoly on innovation, you're starting to see that it's starting to, you know, other places are having, you know, venture capital and incubators and accelerators and all that ecosystem, you know, and I think that we're moving towards a global ecosystem where there's a, almost a global game, Right, the, the, of, of sort of you know, risk and reward, right? And I, and I think that's great. Hey, innovators. Over the last year hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry, I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is, there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place. And there are others who want to take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, 
During times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation for free at bridgingthegappod.com slash ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very cool. Uh, well, what does the next 10 years of construction look like to you that what's kind of going to be the, the biggest difference compared to the last 10 years? Oh, um, I mean, I think it's just going to be incomparable. I think that, that, that this is something that, that I am now absolutely convinced of this. There's a new ecosystem coming at us in the construction field, right? Um, that ecosystem is going to be a data-driven ecosystem that will mm-hmm. get by, in my opinion, by 30 to 50 companies that are playing that game today. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's not a one person or one company sort of game, but the what's happening in construction, right? And it's just mind-blowingly exciting, right? And not just from our company's perspective, it's just looking around at the rate of change, the rate of acceleration, innovation, right? But what you're, what you're seeing is that um, what's going to happen over the next 10 years is digitization, right? Um, construction is slowly, slowly becoming more and more digitized, right? The plans are digital, the 3D models are digital. Your subcontractors are represented in, in the computer, you know, for the pro cores of the world, the Autodesk, the Building Connected, the Plan Grid, the, you know, uh, Canvas Robotic, like all of these companies are digitizing some piece of that puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. The more of it that gets digitized, the more efficiency that you can unlock, right? And so what I believe is that the next say five years three to five years are going to be really heavy on the digitizing of the industry right what a lot of people don't think about or i think don't realize is that as i like to say the bricks still have to go on top of each other mm-hmm. right and so what i mean by that is that the, the there's a digital reality there's a digital sort of representation but an analog reality mm-hmm. and those worlds will need to communicate right and so you're seeing companies you know like Doxel or other companies that are sort of, you know, doing this data capture from sites, right, to update progress, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, that one of the key puzzles that hasn't been solved is that interface between the real, analog reality and the digital representation, right? And that's what's going to get start getting start to get unlocked, in my opinion, you know, in that five years from now, right? I think that research is really the, the bleeding edge research of where we're at today. And once you connect those two worlds, that's when you're going to start seeing some really, really crazy, you know, efficiency jumps. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the next 10 years is is going to be a, a wild and crazy ride, but the potential here is is really exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's the most exciting time to live in construction, I think, ever, truthfully. That 2017 was when it kind of, you know, the, 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 it was a tipping point, right? And it's, it's, it's just a mind-blowing time, right? I mean, like, if you were to be in construction at any point in time, like, this is it. Like there's so much stuff happening. Like, you know, you can, you know, get online and just see, you know, conferences, you know, tech uh, companies that are getting founded, acquired, tech that's getting developed, research. Like it's just super, super cool, right? Like yeah. it's like beyond my wildest dreams, right? You know, I'm in construction, you know, at this point, 20 plus years, right? Beyond anything like, you know, when I was studying around 17, 18, 19, like never would have imagined that construction was going to suddenly be this, like one of the sexiest fields on the planet. Right. And, and, and it is right. Super, super exciting. Yeah, 
definitely. Well, how do people find out more about Allison and, and get a hold of you? Oh, really easy. Go on our website, you know, alistechnologies.com and uh, fill out a form and we'll be in touch. Yeah, we uh, tend to work on projects that are sort of 100 million and up. Um, yeah, and we, we teach it. We give a certificate program. We sit with, with your company, you know, look at what you guys are trying to do. You know, what are the problems that you're trying to solve and how this technology can help do it, right? And, and the level of control that you get with such a technology is, is incomparable. Uh, and in terms of, you know, the, the ability to be confident in your estimate, confident in your schedule, confident in your ability to, to re reschedule at any point when there's a problem. Wow. What kind of projects are you guys really uh, deploying Alice on? Any fun stories there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we've deployed in some of the largest uh, projects in the world. Uh, we were just involved in the Edmonton $2.6 billion successful bid. Uh, project. We're working uh, with co companies like Wieg, Austin Bridge and Road, Parsons, Takanaka, you know, some of the, the largest uh, companies in the world. Uh, we were involved on several sort of uh, large rail and tunneling projects, you know, in the hundreds of millions, in several occasions, over a billion dollars. Uh, and also headquarters, two headquarters of companies that I think everybody in the world is familiar with, right? Large, you know, billion dollar headquarters. So that's the kind of stuff that, that we do and, and we, we really like doing. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, last question I got for you. What does innovation mean to you? <laughs> I'll give you a quote from Edison. Innovation is 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Most people, you know, people use that term very lightly, but um, I highly recommend a book that was uh, recommended to me by venture capitalists uh, here in the Valley, uh, How to Fly a Horse. And that book well, is the best book I've run on innovation. It, it absolutely completely explains what innovation is, right? How to Fly a Horse. Um, innovation to me, most people think it's like, oh, it's this, you know, I'm going to find this new tool or this new idea or this new twist to something that I'm doing. And it's like this, like, like, like light bulb moment where I'm going to go implement it. Uh, I'm absolutely sure that innovation is a long, arduous, painful process, right? Um, even if you have the perfect tool, but learn how to use it, implement it, change your processes around. Like, you know, some, like some of us call them failures, but again, to Edison's point, he didn't say I failed a thousand times. I just found a thousand times it won't work. Right. Right. That's exactly it. And then that's what innovation is, right? And it's, it's a long, arduous, risky process that results in very deep, fulfilling journeys to the innovators, right? And very substantial benefits and impacts to their organizations and, and I'd say their lives. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's a great way to, to end it. Renee, thanks so much for coming on. This was a great conversation. Thanks so much, Todd. Really enjoyed it. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take. Hopefully after listening to that conversation, you are as excited and hopeful for the future of the construction industry as I am. Now is definitely the time to be in construction. Second take. Renee had a great line that over the next 10 years, we are going to see the digital representations connect with the analog reality. The technology in the space is going to enable people to do less and less mundane work while having a bigger impact and responsibilities in ways we can't even fully think of currently. Finally, innovation is a matter of willpower and the desire to try something. 
Anyone can be innovative if you are willing to take the risk and endure the pain. For those that do, it is well worth the price. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.